Good morning. Well, if you have a Bible, open it to 1 John, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one. And we're going to be in 1 John. As we've been going through 1 John, we saw at the end of this epistle that John told us the reason he wrote this. It was so that we could know that we have eternal life. And we talked about the fact that life wasn't a a longevity of life that he was speaking. The eternal life that he was talking about was a life that was connected to God himself, a life that only God gives. And that it was his desire that we would have this life. And that's what he spoke about in the first verses, how the life came and we held him and we beheld his glory. And he's speaking of Jesus, but he almost has to go beyond the person and talk about the life that was in Jesus and that that life was represented through Jesus. And we talked last week about how there are tests that we can give ourselves to know if we have this life or not, to to prove if this life is within us. And we, we saw that we had to see if we were moving towards a place of truthfulness, if our life was postured towards truth, then we knew that this life was in us. Or if our life was one of deception and lies and a constant just deceiving and trying to cover up who we are, then it was an evidence that that truth wasn't in us. Because this life, one of the fruits of it is truth. We also saw that love was a proof of this life. And so we could test and see if this life of God was in us, if we had love for people, and if we had hatred, then it was evidence that this life was not in us. And we're going to continue looking at some of the proofs that this life of God, to see whether it's in us or not. And so in 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 8, And read through verse 10, the final part of 1 John. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth, there's that word again, is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. It's kind of an uneasy subject when you start talking about sin. You know, you have feelings of being, oh no, I'm going to get judged, I'm going to be condemned. And just the word sin, it just brings that kind of connotation, the things that we do wrong. And isn't it amazing how easy it is to point out the wrong in other people and be blind to the wrong that is within us? It's funny. I, I, I drink a lot of coffee. A lot of you know that. And there are people who will criticize me and, and almost judge me because of how much coffee I drink. You know, man, you really should cut down on the coffee. And, and I look at these people and I'm like, well, what, what's wrong with coffee? I, I read 
I read the articles that say it's good for your heart. I, I don't read the other ones, you know. And, and so what, what's so wrong? But the same people who, who talk about, you know, coffee not being good are the same people who are, you know, taking shots of whiskey. And I'm thinking, you know, coffee and whiskey, if you were to compare them, I think coffee is better for you than whiskey. And, and it's that way in so many areas. People who have a problem with, you know, other people and their behavior are, are blind to their own issues. I was talking to this one person and I was talking to them and doing some marriage counseling and, and she was saying, you know, my husband, he's just, he's got an anger problem. I can't believe it. You know, I cannot stay with a person who has such an anger issue. And it was like, well, can we talk about the affair you're having? Serious. It's like, well, no, I see this, but I don't want to talk about this. Let's not go there. Because we don't want to acknowledge the wrong that is within us. In fact, we will go out of our way to hold on to that integrity, even when it's obvious. There was a college professor who, who does this test in his classroom. And what he does is he says, I'm going to bid for this $20 bill. Whoever wants this $20 bill, all you have to do is bid for it. The bid starts at a dollar and it has to be a dollar increment. And if you bid $1 and no one else bids, you get $20 for $1. But here's the, the catch. Whoever is the second lowest bidder still has to give that money. So if someone bids $2 and you bid $1, you still have to pay the dollar whether you win or not. And so they start bidding for the $20 bill. Someone goes, I'll bid a dollar. Someone goes, I'll bid $2. $3, $4, $5, $7. It goes up. And then pretty soon, somewhere along the line, someone realizes, I just bid $10. If I don't win the $20, I'm out 10 bucks. And so they go, $15, $16, $17, 18 19 Finally, someone goes, $20. Okay, I'm now bidding $20 for a $20 bill. And the guy who just bid 19 says, I'm going to lose $19 if I don't bid higher. 21 And so you got someone bidding $21 for a $20 bill just because they don't want to lose. And it doesn't sink in their mind. Do you realize what you're doing? You have just bidded for something for more than it is worth. And he says that he has never lost money. Because people will hold on even when it's irrational. Even when it doesn't make sense. They will still want to hold on because I don't want to lose. I don't want to be seen as wrong. And you see what happens is when we start talking about this area of sin, we don't like to acknowledge things because we're afraid that someone is going to condemn us. 
We're afraid of the judgment that we're going to receive. And so we try and hide ourselves from this. And, and we need to ask, why do we do the things that we do? You see, if we understand why, then we can begin to grasp just the depth of destruction of sin. But we have to find out the reason why. Why do we do the things that we know are destructive? Why do we bid for that $20 bill with $21? Why do we give of ourselves in areas that cause detriment to us? And we don't want to talk about this because we don't want that condemnation. We don't want that feeling. But the interesting thing is, is that we don't see any condemnation in these verses. We don't see John saying, you better knock it off or you're going to get it. In fact, we see John almost expecting us to be in a place where there's sin in our lives. I mean, he talks about it so plainly. If we claim to be without sin, what is he saying? Hey, it's there. And I hope that we can recognize that the life we live and the life that we want to have, we have to recognize where we are and where we want to be. Because the problem isn't so much the sin. The problem is that we are not willing to acknowledge that we need to change. The sin is there. John says, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. So the problem isn't, it, it, you see, God doesn't have a problem dealing with our sin. The problem is with our not acknowledging it. That's the problem. And that's what John is focusing on here. He's not condemning us, and, and he's assuming that we already have the sin. And so he wants to push the idea of recognition. Since you sin, if you say you don't, you're deceiving ourselves. And in verse 9 he says, if we confess our sins. The word confess there means if we agree, if we are in harmony. And so he's saying if we are in agreement with God about what's happening with us, then he is faithful he is just. He is able to forgive our sin and cleanse us. The sin isn't the problem. We need to acknowledge it. We need to be in agreement with God. You've heard confession is good for the soul. Well, agreement with God is good for the soul. Acknowledgement and seeing things how God sees them is good for the soul. And we all have to stand and look at our lives and say, okay, this is really who I am. I need to own it. I need to recognize it. I need to call it what it is and say, that's me. Good, bad, ugly. This is who I am. 
Because if we want to live a life that is free, if we want to live a life that is abundant, if we want to partake of this life that God gives, there has to be a recognition of who we really are so that God can deal with the core of who we are and change us for the better. He is able to do that. The problem isn't with him. The problem is with us. The problem is we don't want to admit it. We want to hold on to our pride, our integrity. We want people to think the best of us. But God knows. And it's amazing how we can deceive ourselves. And like I shared, someone can talk to me and be straightforward and say, the reason I'm having problems in my marriage isn't because I'm having an affair, it's because they have anger issues. And not blink an eye and think, that's okay. Because there is a blindness to what's really happening. They're not confessing, they're not in agreement, they're not seeing things the way God sees things. There's a passage in Scripture in Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. You guys have heard this. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is one of the first scriptures I memorized. It was a little booklet. I think it was called the Roman Road or something. And it was this salvation through the book of Romans. And at at that time and through the years, my focus has always been on the sin. For all have sinned. And really the sin is saying the same thing that John was. If we say we don't have sin... We're lying. We're not recognizing the truth, for we're all in the same boat. We've all sinned. But really, the focus of this passage isn't the sin. It is falling short of the glory of God. We think of sin as doing something wrong many times. We think, well, I sinned. I, you know, I got drunk. I sinned. I, I looked at some porn. I, I sinned. I was angry. I lost my temper. I sinned. I was whatever. You fill in the blanks. I sinned and I did this. But the picture here is that you are supposed to hit a target and you're missing it. The idea is that God has a purpose, an intent for your life. The glory of God is in tension with design and you are supposed to hit that target, but you are missing it. You are falling short of that target. We have all sinned and we've fallen short of the intention, the design that God has created us to be. And so sin isn't a matter of just doing something wrong. Sin is not living the life that you were created to live, not living the potential that God has put within you. You and I have been created in His image. All of creation has intention. The sun is just the right distance. If it was any further away, we'd be frozen. If we were just a little bit closer, all the ladies would be comfortable. No, we'd be, we'd, we'd be fried. It's designed for that purpose. Trees produce oxygen, which we need. So when trees exhale, if you will, oxygen. We inhale the oxygen 
And when we exhale, we exhale carbon monoxide, right? Carbon dioxide? Yeah, I knew it was something like that. I know I do it. I don't know what it is, but I do it. But that's what the trees need. And so there's this dependency we have. We need them. They need us. There's intention. There's design. But you see, we are the only ones that were created with a moral purpose, a knowledge of right and wrong, of good and of evil. And we have the ability to do what is right or to do what is wrong, to make good choices, to make bad choices. Trees don't do that. Trees don't say, you know what, I'm going to exhale something bad. Teach those humans. Cut us down. They have no moral recognition. Only people do. Because you and I were created in the image of God. And we are the only ones who can bring true glory to God. The way we've been designed. And so all of us are in the same boat. We have fallen short of our purpose. We have fallen short of our destiny to honor God and and to do what he has created us to do. Sin is a reminder of who we are, and it's a reminder of who we are supposed to be. And I think so many times we lose focus of who we are supposed to be. We get so caught up in just doing what we do that we fail to see what God has designed us for. And when we fail to see that, we fail to see who we really are. Have you ever had a a picture taken? You know, you're with the group and someone takes a picture of you and then you look at the picture and you realize you spilled ketchup on your white shirt. You didn't know it before until you saw the picture or you had something in your teeth, you know, whatever it is, or your hair was kind of whack that day. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, thank goodness for Photoshop. You know, you can touch up the hair and the blemishes, you know, you have the big zit on your head and it's like, oh, fix that. You see, because... Sometimes we see the picture and we say, oh, wow, that's really me? I, I thought I was taller and thinner. And <laughs> No, that, that's really you. And sometimes the only real glimpse we get of who we are is when we see what we are supposed to be. That understanding that God has created us with intention, with design, so that we would be those things. So what does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? There's another passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11, 1. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Okay, here's the idea. Everything you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, your life, do it so it brings glory to God. What does that look like? What does that mean? He goes on and he says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Well, Christ brought glory to God. Paul was following Christ's example. What was his example? To do good to others. 
His example was to help people in every way. It didn't matter where they are, Jew or Greek, not to seek his own good, but the good of others. And so bringing glory to God is not to seek your own good, but to seek the benefit of others. When you care more about others than you do yourself, you honor God. You are hitting the target of what God desires us to do. And again, this is a lot bigger than not doing certain things. And we just got to get it out of our minds that this is not about clean up your act. Stop taking those drugs. Stop lying. Stop doing those things. This isn't about just kind of changing things up a little bit. This is about the life of God being displayed in you. This is about our lives having the intent and hitting the purpose of God, doing what we've been created to do. Because unless we live this life, we will never have the power to overcome the sin that we are all in. We never will. And so many of us struggle and we fight and it's like, man, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this. And God is like, you're focusing on the ground. I want you to focus on the target. Stop thinking about where you're at as far as just being sin. Think about where you need to be. And then I will bring the cleansing. I will bring the power. I will bring the change. I will give you a life that you cannot give yourself. That is why Jesus came. And you see, the great thing I believe about Christianity is also the terrifying thing about Christianity is the acknowledgement of our sin and the recognition of who we are and the helplessness that we are in no other religion deals with the sin. They all tell you, clean it up, get better. Try harder. And we find ourselves falling short. And that's when Jesus steps in and goes, okay, I can help you because you see who you really are and you see your need for me. Now I can change you. Trust in me. And that's what we need to do. We need to recognize this, that the way we glorify God is not living our own good lives, but living our lives for the good of others. And I think one of the biggest unrecognized sins in our lives is neglecting others. It is lives that are self-centered, self-focused, self-serving. Jesus told the disciples, I give you a new commandment. Now, we all know what the new commandment is, but don't go there yet. First, stop and think, I'm going to give you a new commandment. You could see Peter taking out his quill and getting that paper out. What, what's, what's the new commandment? What, what's this new thing that you're going to do? What is this that you're going to give us that's new? We have these other commandments. What's the new commandment? That you should love one another as I have loved you. That's it? Yeah. That's it. You see, this brings glory to God. This helps us 
to see things clearly. But when I bring glory to God and I, I love others as Christ loved me and I'm sacrificially giving of myself to others, that cuts into my time. You know, I wanted to go out this weekend. I wanted to, to do this, but now so-and-so needs to move. Oh, you know, don't answer the phone. So-and-so, they're going to ask for help. And again, I think probably one of the, the greatest unrecognized sin is our self-service and our lack of love for other people. And we fail to recognize that that is something that is detrimental to us. That the new command that brings glory to God is that we would love others as Christ loved us. That we would recognize who we really are and where God really wants us to be. And that the only way we can get there is through the person of Jesus. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Starting at verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Don't let sin have control of you, but offer yourself to God. You know, I know a few people who uh, are in great shape. They work out all the time. They're always at the gym. Whenever I go to the gym, you know, every three months or so, I run into them there. And you could think, wow, you know, I come to the gym just like so-and-so, but I don't look like him. Well, the truth is, you are what you eat and what you exercise. Sorry. That's just how it is. Everyone can tell where you are in this picture by how much you involve yourself. The reason I don't have a six-pack ab is because I don't work out and I like pasta. And other things to eat. Lots of things. But the truth is, I, I am what I eat. I am the exercise that I do. I, I am the person I am, and I am healthy or unhealthy because of the things that I do, for most part. And, and the same thing is true in our relationship with God, in our walk with Christ. You are what you desire. And if you think, man, I'm just not 
as close to Jesus as I'd like to be. Why not? I don't know why I, I'm not as close to God as I want to be. If you don't know, who knows? If you can't change it, who can? We are what we desire. And we are all in this boat. We all have sinned and fallen short. If we say we don't have sin, we make him out to be a liar. The truth isn't in us. We are all broken and fragmented people. But the only way to change is to acknowledge where you really are and to own who you really are. And if you want to change, then you need to offer your body to Christ and not to the deeds that bring destruction. You need to submit yourself to God. You need to see the target, what God has designed you for. Your life is not about yourself. It's here for others. And with intention, live that life. There's no magic pill. There's no prayer that's going to make your desires change. You have to want that. You can ask God for help. You can say, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. But you will be what you want to be. That's the scary truth. And that's the hard reality of sin. There's one reason, really, that we're trapped in this power of sin. It's because we want to be. It's what we choose to do. And it might be because we've had a habit of doing it for so long. It might be because that's where we find our comfort. You know, we, we take that medication, drug, drink, relationship, lie, whatever it is, gossip. We, we, we go to this place because when we're there, we feel at home. We feel comfortable. The surroundings are familiar to me and I like that familiarity and we want to live there. It might be easy to go there because we've been going there so long. The momentum of our life has been driving us there. But you see, what God is asking us to do is to confess. To say, God, that's me. I'm... I'm envious, I, I'm deceitful, I'm a person who, who is self-centered, I'm not caring, I'm not loving, I agree with you, that is who I am. And God says, I, I can help, I can fix you. And only God can. Can a leopard change its spots? No. Can a man stop sinning? No. People don't change. But God changes people. And that is the hope we hold on to. That is why Jesus came. 
And that's what John is wanting us to do. This, this test of life is that we would acknowledge who we are and see who we are supposed to be. And if we do that, then the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Great, great news. We are what we desire and we will become what we want most. Don't fool yourself and ignore who you are. We need to be responsible. And this is a lifelong thing. Because I, I don't know how many times I've done this where I've said, oh God, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Man, I'm just sorry, God. And, and my heart is there and I feel bad. Then tomorrow comes. And there's the temptation. And there's the familiarity. And there's the comfort. And I find myself right back where I was. And you see, tomorrow I have to still acknowledge who I am. Tomorrow I have to see things clearly. Tomorrow and the day after, I have to take stock and I have to look at the target and the glory of God that God wants me to live. And I have to look at where I am and I have to see who I am and see what God wants me to be and see where am I and acknowledge it, confess it with God and say, God, this is, this is the distance between you and me. I mean, here I am, here you are. There's a big gap here today, God. And God says, okay, I can help you. The problem is when we just say, I don't want to look at the target anymore. Every time I look at the target, I don't feel good about myself. I, I get that feeling of condemnation. I don't want people to know I'm not up here. I want people to think better of me, so I'll just kind of keep it hidden. I'll live this deceitful life. I'm not going to acknowledge my sin. I'm going to pretend it's not there. And we cause a destruction to and so the test now is live a life that is honest before God. Acknowledge who you really are. You don't have to confess to me. Please don't. But you do have to confess to God. And if you want prayer for something, by all means, receive prayer. And if you have someone that you can confide in and talk to and ask for help, please do. But what needs to take place in all of us is if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, make us clean from that unrighteousness. Well, that's great news. If we claim to not have sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word has no place in us. Do you realize how free we can be if we would acknowledge who we are and go to God for what we need to be? We can live lives that are abundant. We can live lives that are free. We can live lives that are not paralyzed by the deception and the shame. We can get out from under that and say, we're all in this boat. This is who I am, God. I need your help. And God says, bam, I will help you because you see the truth about yourself. Let me show you what you can be. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would enlighten us to see, God, just what you've designed us for. Lord, you've created us to be more than we could comprehend or think. Father, you have a life for us that is rich, exciting, powerful, connected to you, a life that gives 
and doesn't just want. And Father, when we surrender to you, when you indeed are our shepherd, we shall not want. We won't lack anything. And it's so true that if we would find our lives, we we need to lose it. And Father, there are people here this morning that need to lose their life. They need to call it as it is. They need to acknowledge who they are before you and be in agreement. And they need to see who they can be and recognize that only you can get them there. And Lord, I pray you would. I pray you would get us there. That we would be that arrow that hits the target. That our lives would have that intention. What you've designed us for. What you've created us for. We'd recognize, God, the glory that we can bring to you. As we live for you and for others. Lord, help us to see this daily. Help us to put off those things that would try and hinder us. Recognize this isn't about not doing things. This is about living the life you've called us to live and allowing you to purify us, allowing you to cleanse us, allowing you to change us and make us who we were meant to be. We ask this in your son's name, Lord. As we're just praying right now, I just want to give opportunity for confession. And I ask that everyone just be praying right now. We don't need to look and see, but if you right now want to acknowledge before God, I need to confess. I need to call it as it is. I need to recognize who I am, and it's not who I want to be. Your confession is before God, but I'd like to pray for you. If you want to make that confession, God, I need your help. Change me. I confess my sin to you. Would you raise your hand just so I can pray with you? God bless you. God bless you. Father, you see the hands that are up. Lord, you see the hearts of confession in agreement, God, that we want to be who you want us to be. And Lord, we come to you now asking that you would do what we cannot, asking that you would change us. Lord, help us to keep that target in focus. Help us to keep our lives in line. Lord, we surrender. We confess. And we ask that you would cleanse us, purify us, as only you can. We will receive that and we will walk in that by faith. As we yield ourselves to you, in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.